Well, welcome to Refuge, and good evening. It's um, uh, we're continuing our study through First uh, Samuel, and uh, just as Ma- Mandy had um, spoken of our our high priest, and today being Yom Kippur, um, <clears throat> it is the the Day of Atonement. So, did you see the gathering at the Western Wall? Did anybody see a picture of that? Yeah, it was tremendous, the number of people that came out. Um, and uh, I, I believe it's, it's one of the uh, days in which, or the times, <clears throat> the years, that uh, most people came out. Uh, but, uh, but we have a high priest who, as Mandy said, not only atoned for us, but he was our atonement. In full, complete. It was finished. It was done. And we're going to... Um, I'm going through the, well, in fact, I just finished uh, the letter to the Hebrews uh, in my own personal devotion time with the Lord, but, um, but we see uh, in there how it is that um, our high priest is after the order of Melchizedek, and his pre- priesthood, uh, there, there is no end to it. Um, it's continuous. And uh, praise God that uh, he made a way, and he did so. Uh, by his own hands. It it had nothing to do with us. Uh, And at the same time, it was because of the love that he has for us. So, you know, we we live our lives in such a way that hopefully it's a response to that love that we first have come to know uh, through uh, the love that was demonstrated through Jesus Christ. And um, this evening, we're going to look at a couple of um, different um, hearts. Um, One set of hearts was uh, on display through the sons of Eli, and uh, and the other heart you could say, or hearts, um, come from the heart of Hannah, the heart of Samuel, um, and how it is that there's a there's a contrast between the two, and um, so it is with this evening as we go through the second chapter of First Samuel that uh, that we have again just many lessons that we can not only learn, but hopefully as we learn them, um, we apply them to our lives to the glory of God. And so uh, let's pray and we'll get into our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening uh, being able to come together as your church, your people, and, uh, and study your word. I pray, Father, that you would give us understanding, that you would open up our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and Lord, uh, give us wisdom Lord, that is, help us to understand how to apply these things or perhaps bring that conviction upon our lives that there would be uh, changes in our lives um, according to what we learn even this evening. And so, Lord, we, uh, we lay everything before you. We ask your blessing, your anointing, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, um, you know, tonight we have some contrasting hearts. Um, we see the heart of Hannah. The heart of Hannah, as we'll see, because we're going to go over Hannah's prayer, is one of just overflowing gratitude and joy and just thanksgiving over what had just taken place. And now we come to the day in which she came and she presented young Samuel to Eli to serve the Lord all the days of his life. And um, so she's just overflowing. On the other hand, um, we see another set of hearts um, that express contempt, wickedness, and a complete disregard for God, His people, and His ministry, service unto Him. Keep in mind that Eli and Samuel, as well as Hophni and Phineas, were ministering to the Lord. So we need to understand that that Eli was a high priest. We have his sons, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, um, that were his sons, but they were mis- ministering to the Lord. Uh, Samuel was brought to Eli um, to learn to grow in the Lord, and uh, we'll see how it is that he, he did do just that. Uh, but they were all serving the Lord. Now, Eli and Samuel desired to bless the Lord, but we will see how Hophni and Phineas wanted to glorify themselves and benefit at the expense of others and the dishonoring of the Lord and their father even through it all. So let's begin with Hannah and her prayer. First Samuel chapter 2 verse 1, we begin, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted 
in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The, the bows uh, or the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And so it is the prayer of Hannah. Here's a worship song all written out for us right here. My heart exults in the Lord. She begins with this. My heart exults in the Lord. It's a heart that, again, is, is overjoyed. And overjoyed with triumphant elation. Jubilation is, is what, what we have here. It's just exceeding. It's, it's just beyond. Her heart is just bursting with joy, with thanksgiving. And Hannah was overwhelmed with his joy. And this was at the very time. And keep this in mind. This was at the moment when she came with her son Samuel and gave him to Eli. She followed through with what she had promised, her vow. And she came, and she was, she was overjoyed at that point. And she could be overjoyed and, and be thankful to the Lord for what He had gifted her with and how it is that she now, uh, with full confidence and, and joy and thankfulness and gratitude, now gives Samuel to the Lord to minister to Him. And he, over the course of the years, grew and he learned how it was that he was to minister to the Lord. Now this word, it says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Uh, A horn was commonly referred to in meaning power or strength. And and, And her strength, we know that as she cried this out to the Lord, as she prayed this, her strength she found to be in the Lord. Hannah rejoiced because her strength was exalted in the Lord, and it was a victorious exaltation of the Lord in the face of her enemies. So in saying this, she was exalting the Lord. She was praising Him, lifting Him up, and singing His praises. This is the very first thing that came out of her mouth. And as she goes on, though, with this heart that's overflowing with joy and with thankfulness, she says, My mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because she immediately goes to now praying and, and uh, referring to her enemies. If, if you go back with me to chapter 1, uh, we know that Elkanah had two wives. One was Hannah and the other one was Penina. She had children. And Penina uh, was her rival, was Hannah's rival. And she used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. And she would do this often. And she was actually referred to and identified as Hannah's rival, her enemy. And so here we see in this first verse, My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. This is the very thing that Penina was doing to Hannah. She was deriding Hannah. But now you could say that at this point, Hannah perhaps smirked a bit at her enemies. Those that derided her. She was now deriding or or ridiculing them. But it wasn't really her. It was not because she had done anything 
but rather she simply acknowledged that the Lord had done it all. And she was rejoicing in that. The best revenge over enemies is victory over enemies. Those who are pompous and arrogant and deride one, the the best victory is to glorify the Lord and just see victory over them. I don't know, that just seems to bring satisfaction, doesn't it? A little baseball lesson for my mom at an early age. You know, uh, in baseball, you know, everyone on the field are pretty much saints. Um, They only say good, positive things toward each other. And have any of you played baseball, softball, any sports? No? Okay. You guys good? (laughs) All right. Not forget the sports illustration then. No, there was this, um, this lesson that my mom taught me early in my baseball career, you know. And uh, because as baseball players, um, you can't really hear what we're saying because the dugouts, they point towards the field. And so there are certain things that go back and forth between the two teams, trying to get under each other's skin and, um, you know, just, just things that are said. Sometimes certain things that are done out in the field only baseball players know about, and you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> he, uh, he was trying to get under his skin out there. He was trying to do something to make him think a little bit. But she always told me, don't respond with your mouth. Respond with your bat, your glove, your arm. Think about what you're doing. Don't say a thing. And beat them. Take it to them there on the field and beat them. Be victorious over them. And and so it is with us. You know, oftentimes the flesh wants to respond. You know, we we have someone tell us something or act a certain way toward us, and the flesh wants to rear its ugly head. And the best thing that we can do is respond in a way that glorifies the Lord. Hand it over to Him. Don't stoop to to their level, but rather rise to the standard that God has given to us in his word. Take the high road, in other words. Be humble. Speak in a way that exemplifies someone who is an ambassador of Christ. And by doing that, the Lord says, vengeance is mine. He will repay. In due time, it may not be in your lifetime, but, but he does. And the best thing that we can do is simply glorify the Lord by our very own lives and the way we, re- we respond to people. You know, for Hannah, she was simply um, saying, my mouth derides my enemy. She was smiling, but she was smiling because of this, because of God's salvation. She was speaking of having been saved by God, from her barrenness. So Hannah's victory over those who derided her and were her enemies, especially Elkanah's other wife, was conceiving and having a son, and in that she rejoiced. I have my child. I have my son. And at this point, I'm exalting in the Lord. I'm singing His praises, and victory is His. He has saved me from my barrenness, and here's my child. And so I dedicate him to the Lord. When we um, respond in this way, it, it stops so much. For them, all mouths were stopped. They couldn't talk anymore. And then as she goes on in her prayer, in verse 2, it says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Three ways of saying the same thing is what we see there. It's, uh, it's poetic, poetic as far as the way uh, Hebrew literature is laid out. It's, this is the way it's oftentimes done. It's, it's written. So three different ways to say the same thing. It emphasizes and it establishes the idea that there is no one like God. There is no one that compares to Him. There's no one above Him. There's none holy like the Lord. There's none besides him. There's no one that is next to him. And there's no rock like our God. We should should remember that. There's there's no one 
like our God. And our, we, are, we are His and He is ours. And so that should give us confidence and at the same time give us um, a sense of humility and reverence as we consider this. So she establishes the idea that there's no one like God. And then in verse 3, she says, Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. You know, I know uh, I had read in some commentaries that this was uh, somewhat like in her prayer, um, speaking against her enemies. And uh, I can't help but also think that this is, this is a prayer for us as well. It's, it's for me to consider um, what she's praying, not necessarily for everyone else, but, but for me. For me. Talk no more so very proudly. You know, the, the moment we say, you know what, I'm the humblest person in, in this room, we've lost, right? We've, we've proved to be very prideful and arrogant and presumptuous, right? It's like, really? You really think that, huh? You think very highly of yourself. You know, so we can fall into that place of being prideful and arrogant and full of ourselves. And so I can't help but think that this should be something that we should apply personally to ourselves. The proud and arrogant usually demonstrate their pomposity by the things they say, by the way they act. They can't hide it. And so if you just stop for a moment and just listen, someone at some point will rise to the occasion or stoop to the occasion. And, and that's, what, that's what we tend to do. So it's always best to, to keep this before us, to consider it, to understand that, um, well, we ought to humble ourselves before God, number one. And be humble before others. Because God knows all things. Is what is said here. And it's true. He is omniscient. He knows all things. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. When we consider that. Then think, about, think about your heart. Where's your heart? When you think you're right in every matter, is it really something that, um, that is correct, that is right before the Lord? And even if you are right, do you have to tell everyone that you're right? This is why it's important to know by what standard the Lord will weigh our heart. Is what I think to be right, right according to the Lord and His Word? That's why we need to know His standard. Don't be proud and arrogant and think about what God knows. The thoughts and intentions of the heart are known by Him. And so we should always remember that. The thoughts and intentions of the heart are known by Him perfectly. And then in verse 4, she continues, The, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. God knows how to humble the mightiest of people. Kings have been humbled, and so have prophets when gone astray. None compares to the strength of the Lord. And instead, again, we should voluntarily, we should willfully humble ourselves. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And the feeble, well, they bind on strength. Uh, something that's bound is locked up. It's, uh, well, it's clung to. It's wrapped up in. Something that's bound up in his, in his strength means that the weak are to fasten themselves to the strength of the Lord. It's to be bound up when, um, you understand what I'm saying, right? When something clings to something else and it's bound, it cannot be broken. It's just on there so tight. And so that's the, the picture that we ought to um, remember 
when we're at that point to where we're feeble, we're weak, we're without strength whatsoever, we are to simply cling or bind ourselves to the Lord, for He is our strength. He is our hope. We know that He is faithful. And so we look to Him and fasten ourselves to Him. In verse 5, it says, Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. In line with the thought of pride versus humility, stay humble even when you have much because things can turn quickly. Very quickly. I don't know how many of you have experienced just a, just a, a, a flip as far as your life is concerned. I, I remember... Um, at certain times in my life, and one um, in particular, to where, um, you know, as a family, we were doing very well. And it was uh, between the ages of 11 and 12 for me, we were doing very well. And so one moment, we were on top of the world. And I can tell you within one year, within one year, my parents were divorced. Uh, we we lost the the company that uh, we had and we went from being on top of the world to to my mom literally and bless her heart I mean the things that our parents do for us and are willing to do um, she was she was literally having to go behind the grocery stores to find just food that they had set out to that point things can flip just like that but I can tell you one thing this one thing I can tell you is that us as a family I, I'm the oldest of three, and my, my sister and my brother and my mom and myself, as, as we came together as a family, and we literally at one point had a mattress, and I don't know, we had our clothes just in the room. There, there was like, there was a, a love and a bond, and we were sharing in this in such a way that we weren't, overwhelmed with sadness we were we were quite joyful in just the love that we had and we had friends that surrounded us and so things can turn though just like that just like that things can turn but remember that our joy is found in the lord not in our circumstances so no matter in what state you're in learn to be content just as the apostle paul uh said learn to be content whatever you have or don't have it really doesn't matter but th- this verse here is just something to where Hannah acknowledged that God, um, you know, can allow things to, to turn so quickly. Remember that Hannah had acknowledged that God had closed her womb. But now he had given her the ability to have a child. Things had turned from what they were to what they are now. And so Hannah recognized that. And then in verse 6, as she continued, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. There's a day assigned for us. There, there's, there's a day appointed to us when, when we will breathe our last here on earth. But for us as Christians, we will breathe our first in God's glory. Right? So for us to live as Christ, to die as gain, to be astronaut with the body is to be present with the Lord. And, and so for us, it, it's, it's always a win-win. It's in the hands of the Lord. And she continues to go on. So, so that we don't need to overwhelm ourselves with. It's just an acknowledgement of the fact that there is a time to be born and a time to die. And so we ought to be ready for that point, that moment. That when we, when we die, when we breathe our last year, we're home. We're home with the Lord. So verse 7 and on, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So verses 7 through 10 uh, is speaking of God's 
God being just, he is faithful, he is sovereign, he is creator, and there's none stronger than the Lord. There's no man who can prevail against the Lord. And as she continues to pray, you see at the very end how it is that there was one other person that was addressed here, and that is the Messiah, the anointed one who will judge with righteousness to the ends of the earth. God's, God's anointed is what we have there, a reference to him which is absolutely beautiful. And so Hannah's prayer is a worship of the Lord, and she wraps it up with, with that. A reference to God and, and God's anointed one. And she is overwhelmed with joy, and she rejoices as she declares that God had victory in her over her enemies. God is sovereign, and no one compares to him. He honors the humble and humbles the proud. He is faithful and he prevails over all. And then we go on from Hannah's prayer to then a reference to Samuel. In verse 11, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. And so Samuel now immediately is learning under the direction of Eli how to minister to the Lord, how to serve him. How old was Samuel, do you guys remember about, about what, what age were children normally weaned? Yeah, about three years old. Three years old, barely walking. Can you imagine Eli and young Samuel? Let's go, Samuel. Right, or Samuel, let's go. On the back, whatever it was. There was Eli and young Samuel. Mom and dad left. And I couldn't help but think how it is, there's this, this question, how can we better encourage our own children to minister to the Lord? Our children? Remember, how old was Samuel? Three years old. Three years old. Three years old. Oh, at least wait until he's much older and then, you know, bring him to, to Eli. He would understand, right? No, she promised him as soon as she was, he was weaned, she, she brought him. Three years old. Three years old. Too often we think our children can't serve because they're too young. Can they? Can't they? They can. You ought to be taught how to. They should learn at an early age that serving is not a burden. That's a simple lesson. Please, 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 please do not Teach your children that ministering to the Lord is a burden. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Because at, at a later age, they'll remember. And what they'll do is, is they'll fall back on that. I remember it was a burden. It was kind of gotten our way of family stuff that we wanted to do. You know, and how do they learn that? By mom and dad. By what you say at home, the way you respond to ministry, how you either give yourself to serving the Lord or you don't give yourself to serving the Lord. That's how they learn. You know, take, take a young Samuel. He should be looking at mom and dad and, and seeing this joy of serving. Oh, I, I cannot give enough of myself. This, this is who we are. This is we fellowship here. I give sacrificially to the Lord in my service. What is it that I can do? And then you do it together. You grab, you grab young Samuel's hand and he's like, come on, let's go. Where are we going? Again? Yeah, we're going. This is what we do. After a while, Samuel, little young Samuel, he stops saying, again? What he says is, hey, it's time to go. Let's go. I can't wait to go to church. Why? Because mom and dad can't wait to go to church too. That's why. They learn from watching. They need to learn at an early age that serving is not a burden, nor does it take our time away from our family. It shouldn't be, well, we have these other priorities. We've got to take care of them, them and, then, and then we come. Well, there's a lot of priorities. There's, there there's stuff that's going to happen in life, all kinds of stuff. We've been there, done that, and I promise you, we're going to be there and do that again as a family. 
We've had all kinds of issues. Deaths, uh, floods, we've had moves, we've moved, um, just all kinds of stuff. And, and there are some people in this room that can attest to that. And, and so what we do is we will, like let's say we moved a long time ago, but we moved. Those boxes, they can stay there. As for the family, let's go to church. That's where we go. The flood, hey, tear down the wall, turn off the main, and, and let's go to church. <laughs> the wall will still have a hole in it. The pipe will still be broken. We'll fix it later. Right? That's just what we do. That's us as a family. Remember, young Samuel is watching you. How can we encourage our children to find joy in serving the Lord? It's by our example. The sacrifices of serving the Lord can't even be compared to the sacrifice of Jesus so that we can have a relationship with the Father. Think about this. He made a way, as we have learned, He was the perfect atonement for us, and He ripped the veil from top to bottom and gave us access to the Holy of Holies, access to the Father. He gave us eternal life, forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future. One day, we will, we will be in His presence for all eternity. How can we ever repay Him? Oh, it would take a million lives, and we would never even begin to repay. He reconciled us. He restored us by the shed blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sin. So how can we encourage our children to minister to the Lord? Bring them and show them that serving is part of your family and you can do it together in many ways. Bless others, encourage others, join the children's ministry or any other ministry and encourage them to help at the appropriate times. We have the hands and feet food box delivery once a month. That's a perfect, that's a perfect ministry to grab young Samuel by the hand and show him going into older people's homes and giving them food and praying with them and hearing their problems, you know, the things that they're experiencing and you being able to go in the name of the Lord and minister to them. That's the church. That's the church. And that's how we show our children how to minister with great joy. And so Elkanah and Hannah, they left Samuel And he started to learn how to serve the Lord under the direction of Eli. Then verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless fellows, or worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. And he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh at all the, uh, to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No. You must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. How, how shameful, how, how sad. Uh, Eli's sons were referred to as, as evil, wicked, worthless, corrupt. They had no regard for God. They were regarded as worthless men who did not know the Lord, even though they served him. Interesting, right? They served him, and yet they did not know him. Eli was serving the Lord faithfully, but his sons were not. So this is just a a lesson for us. We we need to pay attention, right? Because we, we see maybe... Pastors, you know, they're serving the Lord. You know, they, they must be faithful to the Lord. They must know the Lord. No, not all of them. Not all of us. Those who are serving in the various ministries, they, they all know the Lord. They, they're faithful to the Lord, right? No, not, not all of us. 
This is an example before us right here. Right here. May this not be reflected in us here. Because just because someone's serving the Lord doesn't automatically mean that they're faithful or they know the Lord. Just because, just because you're serving the Lord doesn't mean that your children will faithfully serve the Lord. It doesn't mean that. Eli was serving the Lord faithfully, but his sons chose not to. They chose to do these things that we just read about right here. They chose to do that. That was their choosing. They were adults. It, it, that now they were responsible and accountable for these actions of theirs. They have to choose for themselves whom they will serve. And these are the things that they were doing. They were stealing. They were stealing what was being offered to God, and it was done by force. In fact, we were just talking, what was it, Sunday? Talking about how, and, um, how, how a, a pastor had, um, uh, I guess, what was he? He was using, like, thousands of dollars to go. What was the studio? What? Club 33. You guys know what Club 33 is? No? It's a Disney thing. And, and it costs a lot of money to just like buy into it. And then apparently it takes a lot of money to stay in it and keep up with it. Well, th- this pastor had, I guess, bought one of those passes to go into, be a part of that club. And, uh, but that was only a small portion of I guess the millions that he had stolen from the church. He had defrauded the church. He was was stealing. But that's just one. I'm sorry to say that there are many others. I'm, I'm happy to say, and I'll report to you, that from the very beginning of this church, we, we set up certain safeguards and, uh, we made sure that the pastor isn't, doesn't oversee the finances. Uh, I don't write checks. Um, I don't see what anyone gives in the offering or the tithes or any kind of, n- none of that. It, it's all taken care of by, by other people that are faithful within the church. And I, I, and I am overall responsible for, of course, the, the bottom line and making sure we're good stewards of the ministries that... Um, that uh, that are taken care of through the finances, but but all of that, but but they were they were stealing, and there's theft going on, and so this is what was happening here at this time with Eli's son sons. Um, what is it that he they were stealing? They were stealing the best part. They were stealing the best part for themselves. You see, the best part of the offering was the fat, and that was being stolen by these two worthless fellows, the, the fat along with the meat. They were not wanting the boiled meat. They wanted the raw meat. Uh, we, we're not told why they wanted the raw meat. What, one can only uh, you know, speculate and think that perhaps they, they could sell some for more than it would be for the boiled. We don't know, but that's what they, they were demanding, and they were demanding that. The people were even asking... That they at least allowed them to give the offering and burn the fat. And after that, they could have whatever they wanted. But of course, that wasn't acceptable for them. And listen to this. They even threatened. They, they threatened physical harm to anyone who didn't voluntarily, voluntarily, I guess, forcefully, give them what they had requested or demanded. They said, we'll take it by force if you don't comply. Wow, that's, uh, that's really great. <laughs> right? These two wonderful priests, as, they, uh, as people came and they, they brought their sacrifice, well, I, I want that meat right there with everything on it. Well, let me burn the fat. No. And if you don't give it to me right now, we'll take it by force. Wow, okay. And this is the thing. Is their great sin, as we saw here described. Their great sin was that they treated the offering to the Lord with contempt. There's no reverence. Just, just contempt. Like it was nothing. Meant nothing. Was of no value. But only to profit themselves personally. That was the great sin. 
This was a great sin in the eyes of the Lord. To look at the things of God in an irreverent manner is a great sin. To look at the church as a place of commerce and used for personal gain, for prominence and power, is an abuse of something that is holy and sacred. And that I pray for for those who do take advantage in, in those ways, in different ways, even today, of course. You know, that God would have mercy on them, that they would come to a place of acknowledging what they're doing and repent from that. This is not a place to personally benefit from in those ways. We personally benefit by coming and having fellowship, by coming to growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices unto the Lord. That's what we ought to be doing. But there are many who are doing that very same thing this on this day, today. Uh, just listen to them for a while and you'll hear it. See what they do and you will understand what their true goals and intentions are. A long time ago I was told, don't touch God's glory. Don't touch His glory. Don't touch His glory. Just allow Him to be glorified in and through you and through the church and whatever happens, it's all, it's all to His glory. So don't touch His glory. So we have these two sons. On the other hand, we have Samuel. Verse, verse 18, as we continue, So Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make it, uh, for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So note that all this time while Samuel was being raised, raised up, you have at the same time Eli's worthless sons, uh, that they were doing their thing. But little did they know that their replacement was being prepared by God. God knew, and he was, he was raising young Samuel up. This little linen ephod was a priestly garment, and Samuel's mother would bring him a new robe each year. You know, as he grew, of course, mom would bring him another robe and present it for him. And, and so it was at that time that, that Eli um, just desired that Hannah would be blessed with more children. He just, his heart went out to her, and, and so that's what his desire was for her. But as Samuel, as Samuel grew year after year, you'd have to wonder, what, what exactly did he do? You know, at the age of three, what did he do? What did he do at the age of four, five, six, seven? Eight, nine. Of course, he had greater responsibilities as he grew older, right? Sometimes I have people ask me what they could do around the church. What is it that you want me to do? You know, what, what is there to do? Where can I serve and what ministry can I serve? It's a blessing because we always need more people to serve in various ways. But really, the best advice I could give you is be here early and leave late. Why? Because you'll see exactly what needs to be done. Be willing to simply help set up or turn lights on, clean up, break down, straighten up chairs, replenish what's been depleted. And maybe along those lines you'll see the other things that are needed. It's just faithful in the small things and the little things. I I truly believe that when you're faithful in the little things, God will give you greater things. But we need to be faithful in, in the little things. I, I think that for young Samuel, it was just, just the little things. Samuel, go get me a hammer. Samuel, he was learning obedience even through this. Samuel, go do this. Go do that. Go clean that. Go clean this. Go straighten that out. Samuel, go pick up your room. You know, it's, it's just learning obedience, just in the small things like that. And by so doing, the the Lord in that relationship was also raising him up for young Samuel to be obedient 
to the voice of the Father as he was obedient to his, uh, his spiritual father, their Eli. Read, pray, make yourself available by just being here and being available. That's it. And I believe that, that the Lord through that will use you in some pretty amazing ways within his own church here. And so Eli desires that the Lord bless Hannah, and he did. Three sons and two daughters later. Right? That's what she had. And Samuel continued to grow in the Lord, learning how to serve him better every year. So back to Eli's sons. Let's get back to them. So verse 22. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now, the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. So, we see how Eli's sons disregarded the Lord and disregarded their father. They were even committing, as we've learned here, they've, they've been stealing, but now we are learning here that they were committing sexual immorality by laying with women who were coming to the tabernacle um, to serve and to worship the Lord. And there, Now, listen, with this whole thing, we did see an exchange there how it was that the father rebuked the sons, right? There is a time to rebuke, and there is a time to remove. There is a time to rebuke, and then there is a time to remove, and what Eli did was only rebuke. All of this, he was hearing about his sons. But then again, it was just, it was all, it was all talk. That, that was it. And I have to say that this is a difficult thing. This is a difficult situation that Eli is in with his two sons. And it's difficult when you get to the point to where it's not just a rebuke. You know, in uh, management... You know, there's this, um, there's these steps that you follow. First, there is this, uh, first there's training, right? And then you put them into the, do the work. Uh, well, they maybe uh, make some errors and you, you might have to retrain. Or you give them a verbal warning for something that they did, right? A verbal warning. Then perhaps you give them, a, and these are the steps, they might be different for you, a verbal uh, written warning. So you have this verbal warning, but you document and then you have a written warning. A written warning sometimes is followed with uh, perhaps a, a, a day of suspension. And then you have a suspension. You know what? You have an unpaid week off. It's free. Go home and think, think about these things and come back and hopefully um, you get things straightened out. And then if they don't do that, if they don't do things right, then it's no longer rebuke. It's bye-bye, right? You're fired. You're gone. But you know by that point what it is that you did wrong and, you know, you're sent packing. But there's, there's a whole process to this. Uh, you know, I've, I've been, I haven't been on the other side. Well, actually, I have once. <laughs> I, I've received the firing. It was just a phone call, though. It was one-step process. You're out. That's it. Um, and it was all over jealousy. It was because I was doing better than they were, and that was it, so... Um, at least my perspective, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but I've been on the side, the, on management side, to where I've sat down with people through that. Now, there's a time to rebuke, but there's a time to remove. Um, to where it's just, it can't no longer be a rebuke. It's something more severe. And, and for this situation, for Eli, he had to come to the point to where with his sons, remember they were serving, they were ministering to the Lord. Hey, you can no longer do this. This disqualified you. Not only are you stealing from the Lord, but you're lying with the women? Are you serious? Guys, no, listen, you've just disqualified yourselves. It's no longer just, please stop doing this. It's, it's, you're out. That's it. It's blatant rebellion. Negligent, negligent disregard. And one must act differently. 
Well, it was the will of the Lord to handle them in this manner. Because he said, but they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Seem harsh? Yeah, I said, wow. No, listen, God gave them exactly what they desired. They desired death? No, this is, this is what happened here. Did Eli not give them an opportunity to repent? As soft as that was, did Eli not give them an opportunity to repent? The answer is yes, right? They did not want repentance, but rather they wanted to remain in their sin. And as a result of sin, death comes. And so it was the desire of their heart that ultimately God gave them over to. As they grew in their sin, Samuel grew as a godly man before the Lord. Let's continue. Verse 27. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest of parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you, whom I shall not cut off from my altar, shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. Let's stop there for a moment before we close. A man of God not identified by name came to Eli. And this man was referring to Aaron, the first high priest of the Lord and through whom God set up a priesthood. And the man summarized the duties of the priesthood and then came the offense. So he, he went through, did I not? And he laid it all out. Then in verse 29 was the offense. Eli, you scorned. It was a father. He could have very easily said, no, it wasn't me. It, it was these two. But no, this, this man of God came and he said, you. Eli, you scorned these priestly duties and the offerings and sacrifice, sacrifices by regarding your sons above God. Well, how did I do that? Well, by simply rebuking but not removing by not dealing with this in a manner that you should have. You see, Eli was both father and priest to these two boys. It's one thing to reject and disregard the rebuke of a father and it's another to reject and disregard the rebuke of, a, of the high priest, of the very representative of the Lord. You know, and in really the bottom line is you're rejecting the Lord. You're bringing shame upon him, dishonoring the Lord. In what you're doing, you're, you're stealing from the offerings. You're committing sexual immorality. You're sinning against the Lord. Well, they should have been dealt with accordingly, and they were not. And Eli was being held accountable by God through this man of God. Because Eli had not handled this the way he should have, God was telling him that Eli's lineage would no longer have the privilege of serving God, and his descendants would be cut off. And that's what he was telling him. Your, your descendants at this point will be cut off. You will no longer, you, as far as your lineage, your family, no more. This is it. How sad. How sad that this could have been avoided had Eli taken care of the situation differently. God said that Eli would live to see his family live difficult lives. Whoever it was that he left to see. Would, would live a difficult life and, and it would not continue. We need to learn that it's our responsibility to handle those we are responsible, responsible for by regarding God more than them. You know, when, when we have someone before us that's 
that's perhaps in a situation to where they're compromising, they're doing things that they ought not be doing. We, you know, if we don't handle them the way we should, then we are putting them above God, and we can't do that. We have to always regard God more than the person, and that is the most loving thing we can do anyway. We have to address it appropriately. To ignore this is to be guilty of what Eli did. As he was held accountable, so will we for what we've been entrusted uh, with as stewards for God. We need to be found faithful to the Lord. And so verse 34, as we wrap up, verse 34 says, And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places, uh, that I may eat a morsel of bread. So the Lord says, Hey, listen, I'm going to do all this, and I'm going to confirm all this um, by giving you a sign. Your two sons are going to die on the same day. In all of this, what we read here, what we close with is is both near and far prophecy fulfilled in that manner. With Samuel, as he served and ministered to the Lord and replaced Eli's son. So we see that as as a partial fulfillment of this this prophecy. It was in Samuel, young Samuel. He's being raised up. During the reign of Solomon, Zadok replaced Eli's lineage in the priesthood. We also have that. And ultimately, this was fulfilled in Jesus Christ as he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If you're jotting down notes, write down Hebrews chapter 7. Specifically, verses 11 through 17 refers to this. The end to all of what was going on with Eli's sons. We see the consequences here. There would come a day when instead of fattening themselves up by disregarding God and stealing the people's food, the family will be reduced to begging for food. It was just flipped completely, right? They were taking advantage and and now they themselves are, are begging for food. Just... Give me whatever it is that you have. Remember, God humbles the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we too, as we read through, we have, we have options. Remember, God is faithful. Remember Hannah's prayer. Remember how we started out. Remember Samuel. Remember, you know, remember those things, right? Unfortunately, we have these examples of what not to do also. Unfortunately, obviously, because we learn from these lessons. We look back at these things that God has laid out for us in his word. And, and, and hopefully we can, we can learn from those things to not do them. But we too have options and should consider that the actions we take can have significant consequences one way or the other. My boys, I, I always tell them, hey, listen, you, you can choose to go one way or the other. Each one, you will reap. You either reap Blessings or you will reap the opposite, the consequences of your actions. But rest assured, you will reap one way or the other. Let's not disregard God in his service. Let's not take it lightly. And may we choose to serve him in all sincerity and with great joy. Let's demonstrate that to our children. Let's raise them up in the ways of the Lord. Let's show them that serving the Lord is not a burden, but it's a great joy. And it's just who we are. That's what we do. Let's all grow in the presence of the Lord and blessing Him, glorifying Him and addressing anything that needs to be addressed in a fitting manner. Let's be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And He will be glorified as we are faithful in the little things. He will, along the line, give us some other things that to Him are greater. So may we be blessed And understand that we are blessed in Christ and uh, respond in a way that is fitting for someone who is now called a child of God to bless and honor and glorify our Lord. Father, we thank you. Lord, once more.
and for your word. As the Lord, we do have options. We do have decisions to make. I pray, Father, that you would crown us with wisdom. Fill us with your spirit. Help us understand your word that we may apply it to our lives, to your glory. And I know for our benefit, Lord. Uh, Lord, as, as we are blessed, Father, I pray that we would, we would respond by blessing and honoring you uh, by doing the right things at the right time. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for the love that you have for us. Uh, all your grace is wonderful. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.